0: Welcome to the Bellingham VegFest Show with Tamara and Selena.
1: Each month, we dive into a different aspect of the vegan lifestyle. And since we're not experts, we invite those who are to discuss the topics we find valuable and we hope you do too.
0: Welcome to this month's episode of the Bellingham VegFest Show. We have an awesome guest somebody this that, month.
1: Somebody that they people probably know. I mean, if you follow Bellingham VegFest and you've been to... If you follow our page or you're on Facebook, you might have even seen her. Her name is Cindy Thompson, and she is with Try Amazing. Welcome, Cindy. Hi. Thank
2: you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you.
1: We always try to find an excuse to see and talk to you.
2: (laughs) That's wonderful.
1: I (laughs) love talking to you, and it's so great
2: to see you virtually. (laughs) Good to see you. One of these times, we will get together
1: in person. One of these days it's going to happen. I feel like we're getting closer. So, (laughs) but for now, this is what we have. Yes, it's great. I, before we go into talking to Cindy, I want to read a little bit about her. I have this. So Cindy Thompson, retired fire captain and paramedic, dramatically improved her health and fitness through plant-based nutrition, losing 60 pounds and becoming an on, excuse me, an adult onset athlete. She started a second career with her company, Try Amazing Health and Lifestyle Coaching, which we'll talk a little bit more about to help people reach their health and wellness goals, incorpor- incorporating zero waste and sustainable practices throughout her programs. Cindy is a Main Street vegan lifestyle coach and educator, health and firefighter fitness coach, food for life instructor with the Physicians committee for responsible medicine, and Harvard Medical School culinary coach, as well as a five gyres ambassador yes. and till, tilth alliance soil and water steward.
2: <laughs> wow. That's an apple. That's I need Water.
1: Apple. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Cindy. That's so, am- it's just so amazing that you're here. I thank you. That's try amazing. Try me.
2: She's got it. Oh my God. better than amazing.
1: So assuming that no one knows about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to plant-based eating.
2: Yeah, I'd love to. So I became plant-based about 11 years ago. And the impetus was health. I My father died from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma 14 years ago. uh, And he had had two bouts of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was just awful. It was a terrible thing to have to to go through with him. And shortly after he died, the Oregon State Legislature, I was an Oregon State firefighter, came out with a presumptive cancer law for firefighters. And in that law, it listed 12 different cancers that if you as a professional firefighter in Oregon were diagnosed with one of these 12 cancers, it was presumed to be job-related and would be covered under workers' comp. And of the 12 cancers, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was one, but also um, multiple myeloma and le- leukemia, which my dad's mom had died from. Okay. And I, I was scared. I was terrified. I saw that list and thought, I am going to get cancer. I'm going to get the same cancer that my dad and my grandmother died because of my job. Isn't there something I can do? So I was in grad school at the time, and instead of doing my research for my thesis, I thought I'm going to take advantage of the access to the medical school library and everything here and figure out what I can do to not get cancer. So I just jumped in into all the research and found time and time again, references to eating a plant-based diet and eliminating animal protein from my diet as a way to really protect myself from getting cancer. And so I thought, what have I got to lose? (laughs) If that's all I need to do, if it it is as simple as what I put in my body to protect myself. And and the research was just overwhelming, what what I was reading. I'm going to do that. I'm just going to try it. Now, if I don't like it, if it doesn't work for me, then I can change it. But I, I I have to do something. I didn't want to quit my job. I, you know, and I this just seemed like the right thing to do. So I overnight 100% changed my diet. I was very, very, very motivated. And it turned out what I had to lose was 60 pounds. I didn't wow. realize that by changing how I was eating, I was going to improve my life uh, dramatically, really quite, quite quickly. So my energy improved. I just, I needed an outlet. So I started running. (laughs) So, and I didn't miss the foods I thought I was going to miss. It just seemed to be pretty, pretty simple for me. But I was the only person that I knew who was doing this. I didn't have a network. I didn't have friends that were doing this. It was before Facebook groups. Uh, there were some cookbooks out there and some books, but really, really isolating and. So that that was a struggle, finding recipes and finding things. The interesting thing is that while I was doing this research, unbeknownst to me, my mother was doing the same research as well, and we had a beach trip coming up, and we always would go for a week and we would cook together it'd be super fun and I was really afraid to tell her what I was doing. I was like, uh-huh. "How am I going to talk to her about this i don't I never told my mom about the the cancer law and I thought I don't really want to scare her so we get to the beach. We have to go to the grocery store. And I said, you know, I need to talk to you before we go to the grocery store because I've changed the way I've eaten. And she says, oh, 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 I, I have two. And I want to uh, let me go first. I, I don't want you to be mad at me. It is is not a diet. But I've decided to go vegan. Oh, <laughs> and, and she and I looked at her and I said, mom, that's what I came to talk to you about, too. Wow. And, um, I said, I brought you a book. She goes, I brought you a book too. And we both uh-huh. turned around in our bags and we brought the China study out to uh-huh. give to each other as a way to help the other person understand where we were oh. coming from. Wow. So it was really amazing and it was tri amazing. And so that was great because it gave me somebody to bounce ideas and ask questions and share information and get information from. That's what TriMazing is about is to have support, have somebody to get the information from, have someone to ask questions to, somebody to be a resource. So, cause that was invaluable. As this went on, you know, I started the losing the weight and running and I decided, oh, you know, I should start cycling. So I started cycling and then I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do a triathlon, never knew how to do it. Didn't, I didn't swim competitively. I'm going to figure that out. So I started doing triathlons, absolutely fell in love with them. And it just kind of changed my life. I became energized and athletic, something that I really wasn't before. I started blogging about it just to tell my story. Mostly it was to hold myself accountable for my training so that I would make sure that I kept myself doing the training so I'd be ready for triathlons. And that blog ended up becoming the Trimazing blog. And Trimazing is urban slang for three times better than amazing. But how it came about, I was trying to figure out a nice name and I kept thinking triathlons are amazing. Triathlons made me feel amazing. This is amazing. Right. And so I was like, whoa, what if it's tri-amazing? And so, and I finally shortened it to tri and discovered what that urban slang word. And I thought that is absolutely perfect. Right. So, it, it really you know, is. It's really how I feel. Yeah. So um, speeding ahead is, you know, my Fire department was watching what I was doing. My crew decided to go vegan with me after they wow. saw the weight loss and how uh, how I felt and understanding my why. I mean, they all knew my dad and and uh, known what he had gone through. And that my crew started to lose weight. Their cholesterol fell. They felt fa- felt fantastic. Wow! But I. I was dramatically losing size and I had to go in every few months and get new uniforms, including my firefighting uniforms, which were really, really expensive. So finally, oh, wow. after the third set of turnouts that I had gotten, they're $1,500 a pair. Oh, wow. The fire chief came to me and said, listen, we really would like to know if you're going to lose any more weight because we haven't budgeted for all these uniform <laughs> <Right>. changes. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and we just want to know how much more are you going to spend? So, but because of that, they put me in charge. The fire department decided to give me a new program in addition to my firefighting duties, which was to run our firefighter wellness and fitness program. So that was a brand new program throughout the United States and Canada to help improve the health and fitness of firefighters because the number one cause of firefighter on the duty death is cardiovascular disease and stroke, not death from a fire or a traffic accident. It is just the same illnesses that the general population are suffering from as well. I was going to say so, that's,
1: the num- that's like the leading cause for Americans overall.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you see the same thing in firefighters. So in fact, you see a higher rate of that in firefighters. A lot of it has to do with stress. Um, oh, stress sure. has a lot of um, um, physiological changes to our heart and our, our brain. So They put me in charge of that. And I started health coaching um, for my 100 personnel fire department. So when it got time to retire and I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up anymore, Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I think what I'll do is I will continue what I'm doing with firefighters, with health coaching and do that for the general population. And how's that going? (laughs) It's going great. I love it. I love that. it, to me, it's really fulfilling. I'm a person who likes to help people. I, yes. I'm very interested in health as a paramedic. I just love helping people with their transformation and being their cheerleader and and watching their progress. I mean, it's just awesome.
1: It shows. I I, I know a few people that have used your services and are very happy. <laughs>
2: <Good>. <laughs> I'm glad. And
1: I've been to I've been to a class. I, I went to you went you did a breast cancer class mm-hmm, that kind of changed my life. Kind oh. of well, kind of propelled. I was already on kind of a fitness health kick, but going to that class really oh gosh, it got me, it got me really good. And it oh wow it propelled. I don't know. I didn't I've never shared that with you. I'm
2: no, sorry. that's wonderful. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> oh yeah. It was that
1: was like the right timing for me. So we didn't know what we were gonna talk to you about. And Tamra says, let's talk about protein. <laughs> <laughs> because it undoubtedly comes up every time, anytime you tell somebody that you're plant based or vegan, protein comes up. Yes, right. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> it is
2: Pretty the much. number one question: Where are you going to get right.
1: your protein? Where are you right. going to get it? Yeah. So yeah. Let, let's even let's kind of go back. Like, what is protein? Yeah, and, yeah. Like, why is it? Let's let, let's talk about the protein basics.
2: Yes, I would love to do that. I would love to sh- you know, stand on the rooftops and, and share about protein. I'm so excited. This was a great topic. Protein is one of the macronutrients in nutrition for human nutrition. There's carbohydrate, fat, and protein. And some people say that fiber and water are also macronutrients. Fiber is a part of carbohydrates and you know, water is, is necess- necessary for life. But protein itself is made up of amino acid chains. There are 20 amino acids that the human body uses to make up protein. And we have about a 100,000 different proteins in our body that our bodies utilize. It makes your hair, it builds our muscles, it makes insulin. It's just the building blocks for all kinds of stuff in our body, everything in our body. So of the 20 different amino acids, there are 11 of them that are made by our bodies. And there are nine of them that are what are called essential, meaning we can only get them from our food. Okay. But those 20 different amino acids, how you line them up and chain them together and how they fold, make all those hundred thousand different proteins in our body. So, that's really what protein is. They are chains of amino acids. When you eat protein, whether it's animal protein or plant protein, through the process of digestion, we break all those peptide bonds between the amino acids to free the individual amino acids. And those are reabsorbed in our body. And our body uses those as building blocks to make different proteins that we need to build all those things in our body. That is as simple as it gets. That is what protein is. And it doesn't matter where you got your protein. That's what your body does with it. I think part of the confusion is it has to do with whether some of the amino acid is essential or not. There can be a lot of confusion about that. Yes. The other thing that makes it people get confused is that because it's a macronutrient with carbohydrates and fat. People assume that protein is something we need for fuel. Yes. And our body does not like to use protein for fuel at all. Uh, It is is a last resort for fuel. So it it seems like it should be something really, 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 really important that we need lots of to build things in our body and to fuel our body. But turns out we don't need a whole lot of that protein. Our body is really efficient at using those amino acids. And it doesn't like to use it for fuel.
1: So how would one figure out how much protein they actually need?
2: Yeah, they have done lots of studies on protein. And it's really a lot less than you think for the amount of protein that you need. If we look at the USDA, um, their recommendation is just under four grams of protein per pound of body weight. So it's about 10% of your total daily calories. So for a 150 pound person, that's 54 grams of protein, not very much at all. And you can easily get that with plants. So for a, a man, that's about an average size man. That's 56 grams of protein for a woman. That's about 46 grams of protein. And yeah, that's, that's the not optimum yeah. amount. I mean, wow. that's having, um, oatmeal for breakfast and a, a big, nice salad and soup with uh, beans and and pasta, uh, and you know, a a wonderful stir fry with rice for dinner. That's going to give you all of the protein that you need. And that's the optimum amount. So
0: So what you're saying is that it doesn't matter if you're super duper active or less active because your protein is not supposed to be your energy source.
2: Correct. So you're, yeah in the hierarchy of of energy use for your body your body wants to use carbohydrates first right. that is the uh, the number one fuel that your body and your wants to fuel your brain and all the functions of your body and that's what it will go to first okay when it runs low on that which is basically glucogen or glycogen in your body um it will then go to fat and it will use fat as a fuel and use all those stores for that then if you've run out of fat it will go to protein, but generally in your normal day-to-day life, uh, you're not going to get to the point where you run out of your fat stores, right? Uh, you really only see that in severe starvation. Right. And even in the case of severe starvation, you, they, when they have, done, looked at, um, they have done studies and looked at starvation, um, people still have protein left. What they died from is not lack of protein. They died of lack of fat. So when, when you look at, when are the times that you really need to build? When does the body really need to grow and build? Well, the, the major time is from infancy to into adulthood, that time period of your life, especially from infancy, when you're first born, um, you, there's a massive amount of growth that occurs, uh, within the first year or two. And so you would think that's when you need the most protein. What do babies eat growing babies? They drink, they breast milk, right? Human breast milk has 5% protein. Wow. Which is less than the USDA. In fact, the World Health Organization recommends 5% protein as a optimum amount of human uh, nutrition.
1: So 5% of your calories. So if you're, if you're doing 2000 calories a day, then only 5% of those comes from protein
0: comes from protein. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was it's probably not my much. most healthiest as an infant.
2: <laughs> 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 probably all of you too. Thanks, so Mom. then then the other time that you might need a little more protein is if you are an athlete and yep. you're trying to build muscle muscle. And then it just bumps up a little bit more for the amount of protein that you need. Not very much. It, it it's six <laughs> percent. It was a teeny okay. tiny amount. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So and And really, this is optimal. This is a time where more isn't necessarily better. So for example, um, before baby formula was made and scientists or researchers were trying to make a substitute for human baby formula, they initially gave uh, infants cow's milk and those children died. And and cow's milk is 15% protein. The problem is the children died from dehydration because all of that extra protein displaced water. Okay. So this is a situation again, more isn't necessarily better. You know, so when, when you hear the argument of, well, a vegan diet is not healthy because you can't feed a baby almond milk. Well, no, it's the same thing as cow's milk. It's not the right food for an infant, a growing infant, it's, you know, human breast milk has everything that it needs. It has the right amount of protein, has the right amount of carbohydrates. It has it's antimicrobial. Um, so when you, so that's really a great model of looking at what is the optimal protein that you need. Look at breast milk, human breast milk, 5% protein.
1: Is there, is there ever a time that for your clients, you recommend that they count their protein?
2: the time that i have them count it's very minimal and it's at the beginning because when i have a client that comes in and says i heard you know what about my protein everybody's bothering me and i need to make sure that i have enough protein so we food journal they do a food journal and they have there's a specific one that i give them that they track protein just to alleviate their fear that they're getting enough protein and what people normally find is they're getting more than enough protein And so it's a learning exercise. I just don't ever have them track protein. So is too much protein a bad thing? Yes, it can be a very bad thing. You can't, you don't store protein. You've got those amino acids. But if you take too much protein in and you have more amino acids in your body than you need to produce the proteins that you need to make that day, your kidneys have to clear them out. There's a lot of extra work that your kidneys have to do to get rid of that amino acids is the first thing. Second, there are two specific amino acids that when they are metabolized or when the peptide bonds are broken, they create sulfuric acid in your body. You know, it's an amino acid and it can set your pH off in your body. So your body be- can become more acidic and those ones are specifically found in high concentrations in amyl. Animal- products and animal muscle. So the more animal muscle you eat, the more acidic your body becomes, and your body has to get rid of that acid somehow. And Hmm. one of the fastest, easiest ways for your body to do that is to pull calcium out of your bones. Wow. So it can lead uh, to osteoporosis and bone loss from um, continued uh, high protein levels in your body. Interesting. Yeah.
1: So yeah. I was going to say, I, I do, I have kept a food journal in the past recently, just because I wanted to know, um, I just kind of wanted to break it down. Like what was I eating? And, um, I, and on a whole food plant-based diet, I would think it would be very difficult to eat too much protein because you're filling up on health, you know, these healthy carbohydrates that are full of fiber. And yes, they also have protein, but
2: hmm.
1: am I, I mean, am I making any sense? Is that, is that right? <laughs> it would be hard to kind of overdo it with the protein.
2: It it is it is hard to overdo it. I mean, plants are structured with the optimum amount of protein exactly. for human health. the 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 plant foods that have the highest amount of protein are going to be, you know, nuts and seeds and um, avocados. Uh, those have a lot of protein in them. It's gonna be really hard to overeat on them. So. It, if you are then that's why when I'm working with clients, we don't track protein because if they're getting enough calories, yes, yes they're getting enough protein.
1: I guess that was a roundabout way of me saying that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, mean, I feel like when I get the
1: right amount of calories with plant-based food, I'm I'm nailing the protein already. Right.
2: Yep. So yep. absolutely. You know, plants have exactly what you need. They have all of the amino acids in them. They have these essential amino acids in them as well.
0: So somebody had asked, and and I I guess I've never known this either, really. What is a complete protein and an incomplete protein? (laughs) And are there food sources that provide one or the other? Or is one better than the other? Like what what is that? Well
1: you've already talked about what one is and what one isn't, but maybe talk about like the foods that are, like the plant foods that are complete, right? Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. So, spoiler alert:
2: <laughs> all plants have complete proteins. Okay. All, so, all plants. All plants do. So, yeah. this is a fantastic history lesson, and <clears throat> and and it's it's frustrating because we have known that all plants have complete protein for since the '30s, even before that. But there are some things that happened and some marketing that ran away with this information that has caused confusion. So all all plants have complete protein. They have all of the 20 amino acids that humans need. So the fact that things are called it, that plants are called an incomplete protein or that you have to combine things is completely false. Okay. So here's how it started. So in the 1900s, they did some nutritional studies in rats. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but rats aren't humans. And Mm -hmm. humans aren't rats. (laughs) Yeah. And we have seen time and time again that using rats as a model for human nutrition doesn't work. They just doesn't correlate. So this is one of those times. So they fed rats, plant-based diet, and the rats didn't do very well. And out of that, and then when they changed them to a uh, carnivore diet, carnivorous diet with meat, the rats did better. So based on that, those researchers said that animal proteins were superior protein and plant-based proteins were inferior Mm -hmm. because they wouldn't support a rat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, turns out that rats require two additional amino acids than humans. Okay. So they have 22 22 proteins that they need. And two additional essential amino acids that doesn't, that don't come from plants. They come from, from, um, animal flesh. So, and you see the same thing with cats. Yeah. I was just thinking about cats. Yeah.
1: Taurine Mm -hmm. and
2: taurine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another example that, that cats require a different amino acid that are, that are available in plants. And there that's why they are carnivorous and we, and not um, herbivores. So same kind of thing. So based upon that, they made a lot of decisions on nutrition for human nutrition based on rats. It just wasn't even true. And then, of course, the meat industry takes that and uses that as a marketing. This is important to eat meat. You need to have meat because it's a superior protein. Well, then in the 30s, that's when they determined, wait a second, rats and humans don't have the same nutritional needs. There's Less there is less amount of protein implants, but they contain all of the essential uh, essential amino acids that we need. But it's enough to exceed our protein requirements. But it remained in the literature and the lexicon from that point forward. So then, in the 70s, a groundbreaking book came out, which was "The Diet for a Small Planet" by Francis Moore uh, Lape. and in there she. Reiterated, and it was a bestseller. Everybody read this book. And she was a, you know, had so much foresight into climate change and where we were headed and talked about the benefits of a plant-based diet, but did say that plants were an incomplete protein and that you needed to do protein complementing, combining rice and beans so that you would get all of the amino acids and the essential amino acids that you needed that it wasn't true. She hadn't really looked at the research. She was just going off of what the common lexicon was. If you get the next edition of her book, what was put out in 1981, there was a 10-year anniversary edition. She actually retracts that and apologizes that she was incorrect and the research was wrong, that plants have all of the protein that you need. But that just wasn't... Picked up by this point, the dairy industry, the meat industry are running with you got to have meat and that meat and protein were synonymous. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Lobbyists and all that. And then,
2: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, you still see it today. I mean, even physicians don't get the information that plants have a complete protein. Um, and it's only just recently, like the American Heart Association has come back and said, you know, we're going to remove the verbiage about the plant-based protein. It is a complete protein uh, and it has enough to support human nutrition.
0: So meat is incomplete protein.
2: Well, meat is animal proteins. Animal proteins are a complete protein. So, yeah. So they are a complete protein because they are eating plants or other animals who eat plants. And they get all of those, those uh, es- uh, essential amino acids um, through the protein in those animals that ate the plants or by eating the plants.
0: But the animals don't burn those amino acids, and leaving the person who's consuming the animals with less?
2: So when you eat, uh, when you eat yeah. and you get those amino acids it builds things in your body it builds proteins and those so those proteins are all chains of amino acids okay so your muscles are made of proteins that are chains of amino acids when mm-hmm. you eat the muscle then your body breaks down that protein that muscle protein into those imi- individual amino acids and then you build whatever you need so the animals have all 20 of those amino acids the in their muscle. Um, in their muscle, yeah. Okay.
1: But I heard you say they come from plants, so it's kind of like they're the middleman, as they are with a lot of things.
2: <laughs> yeah, they are the middleman, definitely. Um, you know, we, we can get all of the protein that we need, uh, the right amount, the digestible protein, everything that we need by eating the plants. And the great part, plants come with fiber, uh, which animal protein does not. So we when you eat animal protein, you are getting zero fiber. You're getting high fat. It's often mostly saturated fat that you don't need. Um, so by eating plants, you get all the carbohydrates, you get fat. There's healthy fats in plants and you get the protein that you need with the fiber that we need to keep a healthy microbiome. All right. Okay. You've
0: convinced me. and <laughs> right, well, the cholesterol too,
2: right? Cholesterol yeah.
0: only comes from animals.
2: Cholesterol products. only comes from animals. Yeah. So by eating plants, you, you're getting all the good stuff without the bad stuff.
0: Cool.
1: And I know this isn't protein related, but well, kind of, I guess, you know, you always hear people, I always hear people say, well, we need cholesterol.
2: Mm-hmm. We but- absolutely do. Cholesterol is really important for keeping our cell membranes intact. Um, it's also for your earwax. I mean, it's just your body uses cholesterol, but your body makes cholesterol. It makes enough cholesterol that it needs. We don't need to supplement the cholesterol that's in, you know being brought into our body.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking, I don't know if I've ever seen like a, a cholesterol vitamin. or
2: something. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think that's called a steak. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, we did reach out and we asked um, our followers, some questions, like for them to ask questions. And one of the yeah. questions was, can you discuss how digestion plays a role in nutrient absorption?
2: The thing that comes up a lot is, is pressure cooking beans or adding kombu or things like that. Does that make the protein more digestible? Yeah. And what I see, there's confusion there that it's the protein that's not digestible. Proteins from animals and plants are digestible and almost identically there has been there have been studies that look at the digestibility of animal proteins versus plant proteins and they found that animal protein was more digestible but only by 1 to 3%. <laughs> yes, it is a little more digestible but very very minor difference. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at those studies, going back and looking, how did they come up with this? What's the evidence for this? They compared eating animal protein, isolated animal protein to isolated wheat protein. Raw flour is what they used. Oh. Well, we don't eat raw flour. Yeah, that's not so, fair. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fair analysis at all. So we're going to cook some meat and we're going to give you some rye flour, which one are you going to digest better? Well, we don't eat raw flour. Right. So, yeah. So really, there's no difference. It's very, very, very minor. Um, and as far as pressure cooking to make beans more digestible, it isn't the protein. Oh, it is a type of protein. So it is actually looking at indigestible sugars in the beans. So we use kombu, uh, which is a seaweed or a kelp or espazote or cumin to help break down the beans, the sugar in the beans to help prevent gas. It's not the protein. Now you do have lectin in, in plant foods. All plant foods have lectins. Okay. Varying different amounts. And lectin is a protein. It's a phytonutrient that helps protect the plant from being attacked by insects or other animals. It might give it color, it may give it flavor, it may give it an odor, but it's just really important for plant survival. And it's in all plants. There are some some plants that have a lot of lectins that can be a problem for human digestion. uh, And that is generally in the bean family. And the one that's most problematic is kidney beans. Kidney beans have a lot of lectins. And if you eat raw, dried kidney beans, they're toxic. Oh, wow. they are. They're toxic. But the great thing is cooking deactivates the leptins. Okay. So as long as you're cooking your beans so that they're well cooked and nice and soft, not crunchy, uh, especially kidney beans, you're going to be just fine. I that's thought you the were only
1: say chicory root. I, I I mean, it's I have such a hard time with that one. <laughs> <Digesting
2: it. laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's be and, and that is because of the sugar. That's that indigestible sugar in there. It's it's not protein at all, but it is, some people do have a problem with that. So if you are adding more beans and high fiber foods to your diet, and this is something I work with, with clients, is add them slowly. Because as we have changed our diet to the standard American diet, we have starved out our microbiome. So our guts are full of, bacteria and fungus and yeast and viruses that are beneficial to us. And they live in our gut and they do amazing things for us, but they require fiber and they require a really specific diet. So as we have changed our standard American diet to have uh, more animal protein and more processed food, we have edged out plant-based foods and fiber and huge huge swaths of microbiome microbiota have died off. So when you change your diet, your diet is used to eating a plant or an animal based diet. You have in your microbiome, those what we'll call bugs that are used to that survive on the animal based food. Okay. You have lost a huge amount of them that require plant based food or fiber. So, When you start adding more beans and more plants, you get bloating, you get gas, you get abdominal pain because you're not able to process the food that you're eating now. So they will grow back. A lot of them will. You just have to add it slowly. So those my, you know, bacteria and organisms, a lot of them live on the food. So you eat that and now you're now re-inoculating your microbiome with, with those healthy, microbiota that eat fiber. So while we say eat lots of fiber, you know, and fiber is one that we should be really focused on, we want to add it slowly at first so that you can grow that microbiome to accept that.
1: I think that I would think that that would also be true for someone that was, you know, a vegan that's not on a whole food plant-based diet but they're on more of like a more processed Yes. diet that they might, they would also have trouble going to like a whole foods diet with absolutely ease on into it
2: <laughs> absolutely yeah the more processing that you do it's and i'm not talking about you know putting something in a blender or cooking something in an instant pot you know yes i'm talking about commercially processed refining the food yes. so that you you've lost the brand you've lost the fiber in the food um the more you process it, the the less fiber it has to feed your microbiota. So yeah. And I do see quite a few people, I have clients that come to me who are are vegan and you know, I'm having trouble with my weight. I, you know, I don't know, I've been vegan for a long time and I'm gaining weight and I don't understand. And so we work through changing them over to a less refined, less processed whole food plant-based diet. But we have to do that slowly with them. You can't just add 40 grams of fiber, you know, the next day and expect right. them to be comfortable.
0: Right.
2: And is that you think
0: a, a large reason why people try it and fail is, is they just abrupt diet change and and their body rejects it because of course it would You're... because it's uncomfortable right yeah yeah
2: absolutely and they're like yeah, no it's... my body
0: rejected it i can't eat this exactly. i can't eat beans or something exactly.
2: yeah very much case. and there's uh, lots of different there's the number one is you know my body just can't tolerate it my, my stomach hurts i get all this gas number one and number two oh it doesn't taste good because it takes time to make changes in your body your body is not going to change overnight It'll make subtle changes, but it takes time to grow microbiome. It takes time to adjust and grow new taste buds. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's reconditioning, really. I mm-hmm. mean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're changing the fuel that you're putting in your body, and it takes a little bit of time. It's worth it, though, friends. <laughs> it is definitely <laughs> worth it. You know, and I, I like to liken this to putting, you know, your car. So if you put the wrong fuel in your car, your car doesn't run well. If you decide that you're going to put diesel in your gasoline car, mm-hmm. it's going to kill the car. It's not going to run. And it might run for a little bit while there's a little bit of mixture of gas and diesel, but it's not going to run well and it's going to damage the car. So our bodies are exactly the same. If we can restore and put the optimum fuel in our bodies, we're going to run better. Calories. mm mm-hmm.
0: I guess we shouldn't totally veer off from protein, but
1: we talked about, so we don't count protein, but it sounds like Cindy, you don't count a lot of calories either. It sounds like if you were going to have anybody count anything, it would be fiber.
2: Yeah, that's (laughs) very, very true. You picked up on that. I don't have people count macros. That's another one that I hear a lot. Yes, counting macros. So, and that's kind of the slang for counting calories, counting protein, counting carbohydrates. Okay. There are all of these low carb, high protein diets out there where they're very structured as far as you need to keep your carbohydrates under a certain point and you have to have all of this protein, or you have people that are looking at fat grams only. And what's great about eating whole food, plant based, and I also include no oil, it's basically when I say whole food, that's really no refined or very little refined food and oil is the one of the most refined foods that you can eat. Whole food whole plant-based foods are generally less calorically dense meaning they have less calories per pound. Okay? If you are eating lower calorie dense foods, you don't have to worry about counting your calories so much because you're not going to overeat. When you look at fruits and vegetables that are 3 and 400 calories per pound and you're filling up on fruits and vegetables, you're not going to be consuming huge amount of calories. If you're not adding oil to it, which is 4000 calories per yes. pound. Wow. You know, crazy. I mean It's a huge amount of calories in oil compared to fruits and vegetables. You fill your stomach up with things that are four and 500 calories per pound. You know, it it negates the need for counting calories. And if you look back through history, we didn't count calories. That's kind of a new phenomenon. People just ate. They ate fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds and beans and grains that are all low in calorie density and then count calories.
1: Yeah. Oil is no, there's like 2000 calories in a cup of canola oil. Wow. I mean,
2: there's there's more than that. Yeah, that. Is it 4,000? It's 4,000 per pound. I mean, it's just a huge amount. I don't have, I don't have the chart in front of me to to fill you in, but yeah, we, you know, if you're, if you're keeping your food consumption to fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans and legumes, nuts and seeds, and that includes tofu and tempeh because those are legumes, you're, you're going to be in great shape. You're not going to have to worry about counting your calories. And you're going to get all the fiber that you need that's going to fill your microbiome or feed your microbiome. Uh, and you're going to get adequate amounts of protein.
0: So let's talk briefly about people that have legume or soy allergies. hmm is that totally doable?
2: Absolutely. Plant doable. based diet? Mm-hmm. Absolutely okay. doable. Good so that's just that is a great question. That's just one little group of foods. So if you're allergic to soy, and there are people that are legitimately allergic to soy, they don't need to eat soy. It's not a requirement. And I have some I get questions um when people are looking for health coaching. I'd like to do this, but I can't eat soy. So Am I out of luck? No, because there's 3000 other foods you can eat. There's more than 3000. There's millions of foods that you could eat instead of of soy or a legume, just like nuts. You know, there are lots of nuts that people are allergic to. There's all kinds of foods that people have sensitivities to. Just don't use that one. Use something else.
1: Right. And that's if someone were to sign up with you, you would know their allergy and be able to help build a menu, right? For them.
2: Yeah. So when I work with clients, the first thing that we do is um, they fill out a health questionnaire and it talks about food sensitivities and allergies. And in fact, I do a lot of work for patients, uh, patients of physicians that are referred to me to help with an out al- navigating an allergy diet. So a lot of the allergies and when people are going through allergy testing, they get put on an elimination diet and, and it, it causes a lot of anxiety for patients of these um, physicians. I don't know what to cook anymore. And so because most people view a plant-based diet as an elimination diet, I get a lot of referrals to help people. Okay, how can you cook without soy? How can you make meals without corn? How can you make things without wheat? All those kinds of things. So I'm able to help navigate it. It's really important for me to know what their food sensitivities and their allergies are. And so how we can navigate transitioning them to a whole food plant-based diet that is safe for them. That's not going to have an immune response.
0: Okay. So I'm speaking from my experience. I am terrified of meal prep. So I have a horrible habit of eating easy foods, which, you know, fruits and fruits and veggies should be pretty easy to eat. But if I want to cook something, I just get the most anxiety. And so is there, is there an easy way to eat a whole foods plant based diet that doesn't take a lot of meal prep?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the anxiety people have is around snacks is they don't know what to do snack on number one. And like you said, it's a huge shift. It's like, I knew how to cook. I knew how to throw something together easy. And I don't know how to do that anymore. So I have something that I call the refrigerator salad bar. It's turning your refrigerator into a prep station.
1: This is a awesome. That is really Listeners, awesome. Listeners, listen now. This is a good tip for free. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is the a key, really, a big key to success. Is like once a week or so, I go and I make a a big batch of cooked grains, whole grains, some beans. And I don't need. You don't even need to cook beans. You could buy cans of beans. It doesn't have to be that hard. Right. Um, you can actually buy pre cooked, frozen whole grains in your freezer section at your grocery store. You can buy brown rice. that's already cooked and frozen in bags in the freezer. They have quinoa. I'm not
0: that bad. I can cook some rice. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) So I make grains. I've got beans. I will chop up vegetables, just any kind of vegetable. I get like the imperfect produce box. I also get, I tried the misfit market box today. I'll chop up whatever vegetables I have. And I put them in little containers and I put them in the refrigerator. So then when I'm hungry... I just have to grab what's in there. Hey, maybe I want a grain bowl. So I grab some grains and I put it in the bowl and I grab some vegetables and mix that in there. Oh, and I also make some dressings because that makes food taste better. Mm. Uh, If I have some dressings, if I have a ranch and a vinaigrette, an orange dressing, whatever that you like. So then you can easily just build something to eat. So you don't have to
0: make each meal separately. You just have the ingredients. That is genius. It's genius. (laughs) It is genius. And then
2: it makes your meal prep when you go to make something so much easier because say you want to make soup. Well, oh, I have chopped up tomato. I have chopped up onions. I have chopped up celery. I have chopped up carrots. Hey, I'm just going to dump this all and saute this in some vegetable broth. I'm going to add some more vegetable broth. Maybe I'll grab those beans that are in here. Maybe I've got some cooked pasta or I'm going to throw some pasta in there to cook. You have soup, whatever. And they're just components to meals. So it makes mealtime so much easier. And if you can plan ahead and say, okay, well, we're going to have tacos one night. We're going to have spaghetti another night. We're going to have pizza another night then the vegetables that you prep ahead can be those things that you're going to be using in those recipes later. So it makes mealtime faster to put together. That's excellent. And you can also freeze those. So, you know, chopped up celery and chopped up onions, chopped up bell pepper, you can just put in little containers and freeze. So now they don't work so great for making a grain bowl, but if you're going to be cooking a stir fry, You can just grab those out and it takes so much less time. And so what uh, another tip that I have for folks is if you're going to prep something for a meal, make prep extra. So if you're going to make brown rice because you're making stir fry, double it because it takes no more time to make two times as much of that brown rice as it takes to make one amount of that. Mm -hmm. So then take half of it, put it in a container, throw it in your freezer. So now later when you are rushed for time and you want to make a stir fry or you want to have rice with whatever you're making that just takes one thing off of your plate. I
0: love this. That
1: that changed my life. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding like I'll I'll actually triple sometimes with rice and quinoa and I just keep it in the fridge and all week long I either do salads with it grain like you said grain bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'll throw it into taco, tacos or for dinner. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a big tip. Nice. How nice are you? <laughs> I'm
0: this that's awesome. That's good. <laughs> and then
2: also, if you're going to make a meal, if you're going to make taco filling or if you're going to make soup or a stew or something, make extra of that. Because yes. again, it just takes a bigger container to make it. It doesn't take any more time. And right. then freeze a bunch of it and freeze it in individual sizes like so to take for lunch or to have for a meal or meal size for your family and, and market, you know, put it in your freezer. I keep a list of what kind of stuff I have in my freezer so that I, cause I forget. And then if I need a snack, or we, our day got ahead, just out of control and it's dinner time and I'm not, I'm too tired or whatever. Not, we all have that. Right. Totally. Um, you know, something comes up, then I can go to my freezer and go, okay, I have this stew and I have some rice. I'm just going to throw it in the microwave. Boom. Right. Or I want a snack and maybe I have done a poor job of keeping my refrigerator salad bar, uh, stocked, but I've got frozen soup. And so I can just toss that into the microwave. And so what it goes away from is that hand to mouth snacking, which gets us all in trouble because we, we get hungry. We're in a hurry and we're like, Oh, what am I going to eat? Oh, there's a bag of nuts. Nuts are health food, right? But they're high in fat, high in calories, even though they have fiber and they have protein, they have a lot of fat and, a servings of nuts is an ounce, which is the amount that fits in the palm of your hand. And they're very easy to overeat. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't, you throw a whole, do.
0: I throw a whole mouthful in there. Yeah. And it doesn't
2: fill you up. So it doesn't fill you up. Hungry for more. Exactly. So that, you know, those are not really great snacks. Um, so it's taking us away from snack food to eating food, eating a meal that's going to fill your stomach up. It's going to be low in calorie density, high in bulk, and make you feel full. Cindy, you're so amazing.
1: (laughs) I have a spare room. Just move in there. (laughs) Well, you could hire her. And so you've given us so many tips now. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the services? We'll end on this. The services that you offer, why would somebody come to you?
2: So I I love... I love working with people. I just, oh, I just, I don't, I don't really I don't do. know. I, don't know. <laughs> I love working with people. So the services that I help, I help people in person or virtual all over the world. And so if you're not in the Seattle, Bellingham area, you can still work with me. And even if you are in the Seattle, Bellingham area, I can work with you online. I do uh, appointments via Zoom or via phone. But I also have, you know, in the past, I met a lot of my clients on in person. So things I help them with are eating whole food plant-based for better health, for weight loss, for athletic performance and general wellness. And then I really help for healthy approaches to eating, um, such as what we just talked about was how to make healthy eating easy, calorie density about filling your stomach with low calorie dense foods so that you're not having to count calories. I help with tactics to avoid overeating and binge eating. I do body composition testing. I do cooking classes. I do one-on-one cooking classes. I do them online. Like Selena, you took one of my classes online. And it's from anything from learning how to cook, learning knife skills, or learning how to cook without oil, or any type of meal. So all kinds, runs the whole gamut. I do shopping strategies for health and wellness and zero waste. That's another area. You're of, big on zero waste. I'm it's big on great. zero waste and sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's one of the things about eating plant-based is it's so sustainable for the planet, you know, and when we talk about animal protein, switching from animal protein, the plant protein is just so wonderful for the planet. It's it's for climate change. It's it's amazing. And then I do group and corporate classes and presentations. So I've done, you know, for different veg fests, but I also do a lot of uh, presentations and classes for employee wellness. You know, okay. like, that's where my background was, was firefighter wellness. Yeah, right. And for civic clubs or kids groups, I've done cooking classes for even online virtual for Girl Scout groups. Nice. So I love doing that. I ran a power of produce kids club at a local farmer's market. You know, I just lots of things like that. And then I do zero waste consulting for reducing waste in your home and your workplace and classes on that from uh, making your own cleaners to how to become more zero waste in wow. your home. That's yeah. great.
0: Wow. So I just have one more quick question. Do you run into a lot of people with eating disorders? Like what, what's your experience with, with
2: that? I haven't had a lot of uh, folks with eating disorders. Right, it's beyond my scope of practice. Okay. Um, and if so, if I do have people that have anorexia or bulimia or other right. very severe eating disorders, I would make refer them to the physician or a registered dietitian. Right. right. Now, I have no problem working with someone who has eating disorders that's under the care of a physician or a dietitian right. that has given them and me some guidance, uh, and then helping them through that. Um, That is where um, I would work with somebody, just making sure that it's in concert with a a medical professional that's making sure that um, they're in good shape. But as far as the behaviors and applying those things, that's where my area of focus is. Well,
0: it's just funny because you had mentioned, you know, like binge eating and Mm -hmm. over snacking, because I think that people are starting to realize that that's also an eating disorder, you know, like compulsive overeating or eating, Mm -hmm. uh, emotional eating and stuff like that, you know, and I think that especially because of COVID, Mm -hmm. a lot of people gained a lot of weight last year. Yes. um, Yes. to probably lack of lack of exercise, depression. So I think that I think it's coming to light that overeating is also, you know, you don't have to be bulimic or anorexic to totally have right. an eating disorder, you know, right. and
2: that's, and that's the difference between it's disordered eating rather than right. an eating disorder. So right. that okay. is something. Yeah. So that is an area that I do work with people. Okay. Um, it's not that they have a diagnosed eating disorder, but it is overeating over snacking. Right. And for example, having a food that they have no control over, I can't drive past, taco time without pulling in. If somebody brings in chocolate into a house, I can't stop eating it. Right. I constantly, I do help with that a lot. And like disordered eating. Disordered eating. Yeah. Yes, so it's basically when you have a food that's uncontrollable and that that is so enticing that you know that it's not helpful for you and it could be a healthful food. So, so it says the example of nuts you know nuts are very healthy and we should be eating nuts but we shouldn't be eating you know two cups of nuts a day right then you know and if nuts are something that are a problem for you that is something that i can help with i have programs that i work with people to help make it so that that they don't have to just dive in and eat two cups of something and feel awful about it later right whether it is a whole food plant-based food that you know higher in the calorie density, or if it's a processed food that they have trouble with. And in fact, when you, the the same things, techniques that I apply for changing from a standard American diet to a whole food plant-based diet are the same concepts. So when you are making a change to a whole food plant-based diet, that is changing that compulsion to eat animal foods.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: You know, the standard American diet is is really, really a struggle for all of us uh, because food is engineered to make, be hyper palatable. And so it's not your fault <laughs> that you can't only eat just one. There's a reason there's a slogan for potato chips that you right. I bet you can't only eat just one right? because they engineered it. So you can't. Right. But there are some ways to overcome that. We'll put your website and your Facebook
1: page, Instagram, okay. and anything else that you would like in the footnotes of the show. Thank
2: you, right. Cindy. Thank You're you so welcome. much. I'm so glad that I came on today. Thank you for listening
0: to this month's episode of the Bellingham Veg Fest show. If there are topics that you'd love to hear more about, please reach out. You can find us at bellinghamvegfest.org
1: and be sure to follow Bellingham Veg Fest on Instagram and Facebook.